Welcome to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast, where we talk about how you and your organization can take your next step in your leadership journey. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast Q&A edition. These are questions that you guys emailed in or put on Facebook. Um, we had a couple carrier pigeons show up with some. Actually, that's not true. But we these are questions that you guys ask about life and leadership, actually about leadership. Um, and so I'm going to take a stab at some of these, and hopefully these will serve you well. I thought these were great questions, by the way, and we couldn't get to them all, but we got to most of them. Okay. Here we go. The first question is from Brandon. I will not say last names or where you're from because I am dedicated to protecting the anonymity here on the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. What are you, what Brandon, Brandon asks, what, what some, so we know he's from the South, what some, instead of what are some, what some of your favorite slash most productive ways you celebrate where you are? I have a drink. Just kidding, Brandon. I know. Too soon. Too soon. Hey, it's my story. I can say anything I want. Shut up. So what's some of the most productive... (laughs) That's going to get clipped and put online. What's some of the most productive ways you celebrate where you are while pushing for where you're going? Brandon, that's a great win. That's a great question. Um, And the best way to do that is, um, because as leaders, typically... We don't want to celebrate the small wins. We're always focused on what's next, what's next, what's next. But one of the things that I try to do is I, pr- I try to celebrate what's now, but focus on what's next. Let me say that again. I try to celebrate what is now, but focus on what is next. And a lot of times when we get that backwards, when we begin to focus on now and try to celebrate what's next, or we celebrate what's in the past, it gets even wonkier. So one of the things we have to do as leaders is constantly celebrate, hey, that's a great win, but, and this is one of the values we have here at the growth company, what are we going to do to make it better? And I, I, I completely ripped that off. That's not what, for me. That's from um, the Jedi Knight known as Andy Stanley. Um, what are we going to do to make it better? That's, that's the thing. So celebrate what's now, but always be focused forward, and what are we going to do to make it better? Thank you for your question, Brandon. Um, next question. What's the number one key position on staff? And this is asked by James. James, this is, this is a great question. I don't know if you're watching right now, James, but if you are, what's up, dog? Um, I, I, want, I want to answer this because this is the top question I get mainly from churches. And this is from churches from 100 all the way up to 1,000 or even 10,000. Hey, Perry, what's the next staff position I need to hire? What's the next person I need to bring on? And let me, let me answer it this way. It's a, it depends on your vision. Totally depends on your vision. Um, there is no right answer. Like Hezekiah chapter 4, verse 7 does not say, thou shalt hire a children's pastor. By the way, there is no book of Hezekiah. Um, but there isn't like a biblical principle. So let me walk you through what I did. When we first started New Spring Church, one of the things I wanted was a dynamic Sunday experience. 
And so I knew that as long as I led worship, we were not going to have a dynamic Sunday experience because adults didn't like doing Pharaoh, Pharaoh and lean on me, which I still think people came to Christ because of. Um, So because of that, I knew the very first hire that I needed to make was a worship leader. That's right. And so once we hired a worship leader and he fired me, kicked me out of the band, that's right, um, our services were able to go to the next level. So for me at the time, the hire was a worship leader. As the church began to grow, we began to have um, young families came in, and that, they had these little things called babies, um, and we didn't really know what to do with them. And so we would stick them in a conference room with a couple of volunteers, and we called that children's ministry. And then we discovered, you know what we're going to need to do? We're going to need to hire, if, if you want to reach young families, you're going to need to hire a children's um, pastor or a children's position. So once again, it's all based according to your vision. So what's the next step that your church or your business needs to take, and you need to hire according to that vision? Great question. Great question. Thanks, James. Here's a here's another um, great question, um, and I forgot to put the name of this one, so I'm sorry. We'll call him Bob. Bob asks, what are some of the most common blind spots of new leaders? What are, the mo- what are some of the most common blind spots of new leaders? This is a great question, Bob. Actually, I, d- I don't know if your name's Bob, but uh, this is a great question. And as I looked at this, I wrote down two, and, and, and here they are. Number one, we think that people think like we think. Let me explain that. Let me say that again. As a new leader, and sometimes even as an old leader, I'm 45, so, and, and this still happens to me, we think that other people think like we think. And so when we see a situation and other people don't see that situation exactly as we saw that situation, we get upset and we get, we get mad when, as a leader, Part of our calling, part of our responsibility is to take the time to help others see things as we see things. And then, this is what's beautiful about it, if we're seeing it wrong, it's an awesome opportunity for someone to speak truth into us, in other words, lead up so that we can say, oh, okay, I can make the correction now. So that's one mistake is we think that people naturally think like we think about the situation. The second one, Um, and this is typical of new leaders and even younger leaders, is people do not understand that people follow a person, not a position. Let me say that again. People follow a person, not a position. So nobody actually cares about your job title. Nobody actually cares if you're um, uh, a secretary or an administrative assistant or the head person in charge, or the get crap done person. Like, nobody cares what the job title is. They will follow you because of the person that you are. And so that's a, that's a great question, um, uh, Bob. Thanks for asking that. Here we go. This is a fun one. This is a fun one. I've been, I'm really, and this one intrigues me a little bit. Um, and it causes me to ask some questions that I want to ask, but I'm not going to ask. Um, but anyway, let me just read it as it's written. Here we go. Can an attractive, and then in parentheses, 
but modest woman that's not related to the pastor be on the senior leadership staff of a church. This one is a lot of fun, and let me tell you why. And let me just say this for the record. There are godly people on both sides of this issue. This is an issue that that people fight over, which, by the way, if you disagree with this, I'm not going to fight you. So don't send an email. I'm not going to fight. If you disagree, okay, because other people disagree. I'm telling you, there's godly people on both sides of the issue, and we don't need to fight over it. But my answer is this. A woman can do anything that God calls her to do. A woman can do anything that God calls her to do. I mean, when it came to preaching the gospel, women were actually the first group commissioned to preach the gospel because they went to the tomb to get the body of Jesus while the men were freaked out hiding and scared. In fact, if it wouldn't have been for the women, we might not even know that Jesus rose from the dead. And let me say this while I'm at it, and this is my podcast, with over 7 billion people on the planet and three and a half billion of them do not know Christ, I think we have better arguments than what somebody pees out of in regards to who is and who is not going to take the gospel to the world. That's just my opinion. Once again, I won't fight over it, but I'm pretty passionate about it. Because, let me, say, well, let me say this, some people are like, oh, people like Beth Moore and people like Joyce Meyer shouldn't preach. You know why they say that? Because Beth Moore and Joyce Meyer could preach them under the table. I am a Beth Moore, Joyce Meyer raving fan. Next question. That was a fun one. How to connect and engage with young leaders for the millennial Generation, like, and I'm guess this is Dan. By the way, um, how how do you connect with young leaders for the millennial generation? Here's here's the thing you need to know about the millennials. By the way, let me stop and say this: I hate people that go off on millennials. I don't hate people that go. I hate. Let me say this: I hate it because somebody just probably said you shouldn't hate people. I I know I don't. I try not to. Um, but I hate it when people go off on millennials. Um, the reason why is because, number one, I have two millennials that work at the growth company, and they're pretty cool. Um, here's what you need to know about millennials. The reason people go off on millennials is they don't want to take the time to understand them. Oh, snap. If I had this mic in my hand, I would have just dropped it, and then I'd have had to pay for it because it's expensive. The reason people go off on millennials is they don't understand millennials. Here's the thing about millennials that's so awesome. They're the greatest cause-driven generation in the world. Millennials don't care how much money they make. Millennials don't care. They just want to be committed to a cause that matters. So the leader that goes off on how millennials suck is the leader that hasn't taken the time to sit down and understand that if you'll convince them of the cause that you're devoted to, they will sell their life out to it. That's why I think 
that this generation, I've said this for years, the millennial generation, I believe, is going to lead the next great awakening. And here's why. If we as church leaders could figure out how to convince the millennials that the church is the greatest cause in the world to dedicate their life to, we would see more millennials take leadership positions in churches than we ever imagined. Because once again, they just want to give their life to something that matters. So stop going off on millennials. In the name of Jesus. Here we go. I'm feeling good today. Um, next question. Uh, how do you come away from a phone call having energized someone and not leave them drained from the perspective of a leader and the one being led? And I think what this person is asking is how do you come away from a phone call where you're energizing somebody and you're not drained? I don't know. I don't know. Because here's, here's reality. Part of my job is to inspire people as a leader, but if I have to constantly be someone's source of motivation, then um, I'm going to have to help them find another position. I can inspire you in regards to what we're doing, but I'm not Chris Farley, motivational speaker. Some of you have no idea what those, that is because you're a millennial. But if you are a millennial, I love you, even though you don't want, know what Chris Farley, motivational speaker, is. Second question is, wow, this is this, and this is a great question. This is a great question. What happens when someone's quote being real, unquote, is someone else's quote unquote acceptable behavior? And and the way this question was asked, um, if I remember it correctly, is like, hey, what if somebody um you confront somebody on the way they're acting and they're like, well, I'm just being real. Well, I don't have a problem with being real. I love to joke. I love to have fun. But when being real equals sinful, then being real equals broken. And when being real equals broken, then what is broken needs to be fixed. The illustration I've shared for years is, let's say you broke your ankle today and you drug your busted up ankle around behind you for the rest of your life, and you look like freaking Frankenstein walking in and out of work, and somebody came up to you and said, hey, I'd love to talk to you about your ankle. It looks like you're having problems. And you go, I'm just being real, man. This is just who I am. I'm just being real. This is my ankle, and it's broken, and this is just who I am. I would think that that person is an idiot. I would think that we would need to get to the doctor and fix what is broken. So anytime being real is like sinful or hurting people, then, then maybe your definition, maybe your definition of real needs to change. Just thought, just thought. A um, couple more questions, a couple more questions here. Um, here we go. How do you deal with differences in opinion regarding vision and our mission with co-leaders? Um, this is a great question, and this is what I've always told, especially senior pastors. Um, the vision's not for sale. The vision is not for sale. Um, people can have input on how we're going to implement the vision, but in regards to what the vision is, the vision's not for sale. This last question is probably one of my favorites. It's five lines long, so bear with me. I tried to condense this, but I couldn't because I, th- I think it's a very well-phrased question um, and the answer will probably be more controversial than the women question or the millennial question. Here we go. With the rise of visual learning in the 21st century, 
parentheses, blogs, social media, movies, video games, etc. Should we be learning how to make Christians without using the Bible? Very important clarification. I am saying not using the Bible as far as a book, but I am also saying to still use the gospel and the truth therein. For example, there are already tribes in Eastern Africa that evangelize with storytelling because of illiteracy. And by the way, who made that word so hard to say? That is one of the cruelest jokes in the history of mankind. And, I'm sorry, storytelling because of illiteracy, there we go. And suppose we could say that our world is becoming spiritually illiterate. What do you think? This is a phenomenal question. Let me answer it like this. Christianity spread to half of the known world in the first 350 years after Jesus rose from the dead without a Bible. Now, there were letters, there were parchments, there were pieces, but Christianity didn't have a Bible for the first 350 years. I think, Christi- I think the primary thing that spreads the message of Christianity is when we actually love one another. Like, and that's what they did. They just loved people. They loved people that weren't lovable, and through that method, the gospel spread. On the flip side, I love God's Word. I love the Bible. I think it is inerrant. I think it's infallible. I think it's inspired. I, it has, God, is, God used it in my life this morning. God is using it in my life on a consistent basis. So I love the Word of God. But this question, in this question, it kind of answers itself. If someone can't read, then we can't say, hey, read Romans 3.23. It says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We need to be able to understand, to tell them the story. That's why most children's Bibles have pictures and phrases in them. So I'm always, I say, this is what I say. And once again, I will not argue because I, just, I honestly don't have time Um, I would say that the Bible has to be the source of all of our information in regards to what is communicated. I would say how it is communicated is highly dependent upon the group of people that is being communicated to. So I believe in the, I mean, the, the scriptures are powerful, but whether we quote them through a sermon, whether we sing that in the song, whether we tell that in the story, I don't care how it's communicated. I just care that God's Word is communicated. So that is the edition, the Q&A edition. Hey, let me let you know about this if you're, not, um, if you're not aware of this already. And this is for the people on Facebook Live and for the podcast listeners. We have a roundtable coming up um, for business leaders on Monday, March 20th. Um, 2017, and and it's on the seven mistakes, seven common mistakes that business leaders make and how to fix them. Then we have a church leaders roundtable on March 21st and 22nd. Now, 50 spots for each roundtable, and registrations are filling up fast. So if you want to go to the business leaders roundtable, www.iwantmybusinesstogrow.com, and you'll see an events button. You can click on there, and there has all the information. And if you're interested in the church roundtable, www.iwantmychurchtogrow.com. Click on events, 
Um, and and uh, we, ha- we, we, we just had a registration right before I walked in to record this podcast, so it's awesome. So if you want to register for either one of those events, sign up ASAP because they're going to fill up ASAP. In fact, on February 24th, the registration goes from $499 per um per person to $7.99. Some people are like, that is a lot of money. Exactly. That's why you should get registered as soon as possible. Thank you for joining us for this Q&A edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. We hope you had a blast spending time with us. For more thoughts on leadership, visit Perry's blog at perrynoble.com.